Well, as we end 2022, and, and definitely a memorable year in U.S. history, and certainly from a policy perspective, and including the perspective of how legislative and regulatory decisions affected the more than 37 million Americans with kidney diseases, um, I thought it would be important to do something a little bit different in this podcast. And so in addition to David, who I'm going to ask to, to reintroduce himself in a, in a second, we're being rejoined um, by Zach Cribbs. And so we thought what we would do is provide sort of an end of year update and sort of set the table for what's likely to happen in 2023 related to kidney policy. So David, you're up first. Thank you, Todd. Uh, for the listeners, it's David White again. Uh, I'm the regulatory and quality officer at ASN, and it's a great uh, it's great to be with you all today. And if I could just give people a visual of David, David is in his happy place when he's reading a proposed rule, thousands of pages, and he's getting into the details and the weeds, and he's trying to decipher what a semicolon means versus a colon and what the intent of, of different proposals are. Um, do I have that about right, David? I am smiling as big as the sun uh, right now. That, just, that's my happy place. And uh, Zach, would you mind introducing yourself? Yeah, thanks. It's uh, great to join uh, you and, and David Todd. Uh, my name is uh, Zach Cribbs. I'm the manager of congressional affairs at the American Society for Prology. Um, I've worked on the legislative um, uh, affairs portfolio for ASM since I started um, back in 2017. Um, so uh, great to join you and talk a little bit more about uh, what Congress is doing to wrap up the end of the year and, and what it might mean for next year. And I should say, Zach, that your happy place is being in a meeting on Capitol Hill with either a new member of Congress or a new congressional staff person. And they say, so can you just explain to me sort of what we could do to be helpful related to kidney policy? Oh, I, I absolutely love that. That's such a great question. Um, the, the one I actually like almost as much as that is that what, what is a nephrologist? Um, and I think there's always um, so many great opportunities to explain the, the, the great work that our members do um, to people on Capitol Hill and then beyond. So, yes, very much my happy place. So, Zach, I'm going to start with you and I'm going to just throw out an a, a amazing dollar total, which is one point seven trillion dollars. When I say that to you, what, what, what do you what's your reaction? Well, first off, one point seven trillion dollars is a massive amount of money. Um, it, it also happens to coincide with uh, the omnibus, um, the spending levels outlined in the omnibus package. And omnibus is just um, Capitol Hill speak for this um, end of year funding package. Um, and in addition to being a really a, a large amount of, of actual spending from Congress's behalf, um, it's also the end of year. Um, it contains all of the end of year priorities of Congress. Um, so anything that is not included in this uh, legislative package, um, it's not going to happen this year. It's going to have to be worked on next year and in con uh, years to come. And so there's kind of two important points there. One is that when you say next year, that means a new Congress. So everything will have to be, all the legislation, even legislation that almost got over the finish line, will have to be reintroduced and sort of go through the traditional process. The second, I think, big piece in what you're saying and where I want to sort of dig in a little bit is this omnibus spending bill includes both appropriation spending, in other words, or discretionary spending, in other words, funding that 
on an annual basis, Congress has to decide to appropriate funds to existing agencies or existing activities and entitlement funding. So programs where if Congress doesn't make a change, then they sort of automatically move forward the way they were previously. So on the appropriation side, do you mind just highlighting a few things that you think it's important for our listeners to know about? Absolutely. And thank you for that distinction. I think that is really important and definitely kind of the meat and the bread and butter, if you will, of a lot of congressional advocacy. So a couple top-line numbers I'm really interested in this bill, really first and foremost for me is the emphasis in this bill on innovation and research. So for research, the proposal, this agreement includes a record $47 billion for the National Institutes of Health. And now if you're breaking that down by institute, the National Institute of Diabetes, Digestive, and Kidney Diseases has received a $96 million increase in this bill or around a 4.4 percentage increase. So really happy to see that. But we also see on the innovation side, continued investment in kidney acts. So Congress is proposing to put in $5 million for this program there. And also a new, the new kid on the block, ARPA-H, and I know we've talked about this in the past and I believe on this show, ARPA-H stands for the Advanced Research Projects Agency for Health. We're also getting used to this acronym. It's a brand new program here in Congress. And basically it's modeled after DARPA, which was sort of a groundbreaking program on the defense side of the equation that created innovations ranging from, I think, cell phones to the internet and even those like killer robot dogs. So we're hoping that a similar program in the health space can really help drive advancements in care. And certainly the administration is putting a lot of eggs in this basket. So they're proposing $1.5 billion of funding for ARPA-H in its first year of existence. And they actually went even a step further in this bill. They included a full authorization of the program, which has been something the administration has tried to secure for the past year or so. So really interesting stuff there. Yeah, and just as we shift to the entitlement side, I think you've come up with a sort of third distinction here in terms of an omnibus bill. So the first is the fact that it is a sort of massive roll-up. The second is that it combines appropriations or discretionary funding with entitlement funding. And the third is that it includes both appropriations or funding as well as authorization. Otherwise, in other words, authorizing Congress to appropriate these funds so that there's a lot wrapped up in there. As we shift to the entitlement side, I guess, David, I'll give you a different number, and that's the number two. And I don't know if you remember the 60s television show, The Prisoner, but I guess my question is, are you number one? No, I'm not number one. I do remember the show. I also remember the show, What's My Line, or To Tell the Truth. Those both also were interesting. Um, but nonetheless, two here is really important because it goes back. Um, and uh, before I go into this, I want to say thanks to Zach, because we worked on this on the regulatory side and there were only so many ways we could go after this without Congress stepping in. Um, you know, it really was not going to be such a great year next year. Uh, there were going to be some real problems. And so, Zach, thanks uh, for your group and the work they've done on this, because in this package, there's a couple things that are really important. Every, there's, there's an extension for two years 
against a whole group of cuts and kind of cliffs that we were looking at about before in the podcast, uh, having to do with reimbursement in the Medicare program and things that really pay for kidney care. So to start with, for two years, they've they've put off the cuts that we were looking at. And we've talked about that uh, in this show where we were looking at about a 4.5% cut in Medicare payments in the physician fee schedule. Uh, and that's really important because they've made next year that that number is going to end up being 2% as opposed to that much larger number. In 2024, it's 3.25%. So I'm not going to pretend there's still no pain here, but um, it is it is definitely an improvement of what we wanted to see. And that really comes along because of the of, of the increases that have occurred in the position fee schedule and because of the basic budget neutrality that's imposed on it uh, by statute. Also, some of the pay-go uh, cuts that have been postponed during the COVID period uh, are also put off, and that's another 4% of Medicare that was going to get cut. So these are going to be really helpful um, for a system that's already pretty strained. And David, just before you move forward, can you just give the quick sort of two-sentence summary of PAYGO? Okay, and so the the PAYGO provisions really are those provisions in which uh, Congress basically says for any additional spending here, you've got to make up for it. You've got to be able to pay something else. And during the COVID period, that was suspended for a period uh, because of the, the real crunch that it had placed the healthcare system under. Um, I don't know, Zach, if you want to add anything else to the idea of PAYGO, but that's kind of the basic nut, to, uh, the basic premise of it. Thanks, David. The only thing I'll add, PAYGO is a, a procedure that's been around for 30 years. Um, there's a related procedure called sequestration that's a little bit newer um, um, it's, uh, after the ACA. Um, and I, I do think it's important to note that these are policies that were put in place under Republican control. Um, they're um, policies they care in particular about. Um, so I think it's really interesting that the um, PAYGO cuts are waived um, through um, 2025, fiscal year 2025, which means it's going to be the last year of a Republican Congress in 2024 um, that's going to have to address the impact of PAYGO, um, not only um, from COVID-19, but also from this current $1.7 trillion package um, that uh, the cuts have been pushed off until that date. We'll come back to the political issues, because um, I do think it's also, you know, it would be the fourth year of the, the Biden administration as well. Um, David, I interrupted you. So in terms of the other, um, you know, are you are you number one? No, you're number two. Um, just kind of curious as to, to what else you want to emphasize. I, I'm just going to add a couple of things there. Thanks uh, for adding that in, Zach. It's just, this is all good. Um, the other things that are really, uh, I think, useful to know is that we were expected to uh, lose the bonus payments for participation in advanced alternative payment models. That's under the quality payment program, which was created by the MACRA legislation uh, in 2015. So those were set to expire. Um, those are normally 5% bonus for our members who participate in an APM or AAPM. Um, and those are going to go down to 3.5% for their bonus for next year. Um, the other ones that are important just to know about um, is in terms of the two-year extension of telehealth flexibilities, uh, giving the, the agencies a little bit more time to evaluate how telehealth um, has been, you know, really has gone on during this uh, period of the public health emergency. Those flexibilities were set to expire five months after the PHE ends. 
uh, but this ensures that they stick around for two more years. Um, one thing I will say is there's been a lot of conversation about when the, uh, the public health uh, emergency will end. And the whole, we've talked about on here that, that the government had made it necessary for there to be at least 60 day notice for when that would happen. Uh, and the reason for that had to do with giving states the time to start doing Medicaid redeterminations that had occurred under some of the COVID uh, waivers. Uh, this, this, does, uh, this doesn't include a, a bipartisan agreement to let the start, state start doing med, uh, Medicaid redeterminations in April. And so those would affect them going through and, and evaluating individuals who had been put on during COVID who might not necessarily meet the statutory requirement for being in Medicaid. Um, and so that will, that will be something that the states can start to do. They can now plan on it. And it no longer has to be one of those things where you're waiting to see when it's go there's going to be an announcement. David, I guess a really quick question. I mean, from your perspective, it sounds like it's it's a little bit of a mixed bag, more positive than negative, but still not as much positive and, and still some pain for ASN members and other health professionals. I'm just sort of curious as to your overall assessment, if you just sort of grade, um, you know, the, what Congress and the administration agreed to in this package? Uh, oh, financially, some of the stuff that Zach talked about, you know, it's it's great. Uh, but for some of the stuff, I would say a B minus. Um, they did extend the rural, uh, key rural health hospital program, and that's really important, and that's going to impact a lot of our people. Um, but there's still, uh, I mean, there's, like I said, there's still some hurt there uh, that's going to occur. And people are going to feel uh, some tension in terms of where the dollars are going to get cut. But um, I do think overall, uh, it's a B minus that um, I'm glad that we got because uh, we were looking like much more of a C minus or a D plus. Um, and this, so I, I think most of our members would be happy this occurred. I think they would have liked to have been more like an A minus, uh, but that's just not what happened. Yeah, so, so Zach, kind of shifting back to you, I guess the, the third and, and final set of numbers um, from you know the $1.7 trillion to the number two or two years, uh, you know, the next number would be eight versus four. So um, what do those numbers mean? Uh, this is squarely in the political realm at this point, Todd. Um, so eight is the number of seats that the Democrats will be defending in the Senate in um, either um, states that Trump won or states that Biden narrowly won by 3%, uh, three points or less. Um, four is the number of senators um, on the Republican side who will similarly be defending their seats um, in, in more Democratic-leaning territory. So there is a really big mismatch. Um, I, I, just to maybe put it in less abstract terms, the most competitive seats um, for Democrats will probably be Texas. Um, so I think that that definitely shows the, the pressure Democrats will have um, in the Senate to um, be working in a bipartisan fashion, um, but also in a way that will um, highlight their achievements um, in, in a way that will benefit them in an election. Um, this is also going to be really tricky when you um, um, are add the House into this equation. Um, the House, as we know, is leaning Republican. Um, it's barely leading Republican. In fact, there's only um, around four um, votes that the Speaker of the House, the Republican Speaker of the House, will have to play with. Um, so it's a, a very narrow uh, majority. Um, 
but I, I think there's going to be a, um, a lot of difference between what the Senate and the House take on as priorities. Um, and I think there's going to be a lot of partisan politics at play um, over the next um, two years of this, this coming Congress. So, so, Zach, given these thin margins, as we look to next year in particular, from the perspective of policy priorities really focused on the kidney community, what do you think this means? Great question, Todd. Well, I, I think the first thing to understand is the House is really going to be focused in on investigations. Um, McCarthy, um, uh, Kevin McCarthy, who's um, currently in a bid for the speakership of the, the House, um, he has already put out a number of um, areas where he'd like to center um, the investigative efforts of the House. I think the, um, in, in maybe a little bit of an ironic fashion, the success of the um, January 6th committee um, that was led by Nancy Pelosi has really given um, the Republicans a very interesting model for how to conduct um, investigations. Um, so I, I would really expect to see a lot of um, a lot of work being done on um, oversight of spending that the, um, has happened over the past few years, um, investigation into the um, origins of COVID, um, other issues like that that I think very much are the, the bread and butter of um, Republican caucus right now. Um, I do think that this narrow, um, the interplay between the Senate and the House and the narrow uh, vote count on the, uh, for the Republicans in the House will mean it's less likely for some of these big, huge spending packages to pass. Um, so the Democrats um, in the, over the past two years have led um, three big spending packages, including this bill, um, really record levels of spending. And, and I just don't see that as being as likely over this next, um, these next two years. Um, I do see there being a lot of possibility for bipartisan action. And so there's some really great things I think that are, are set up for action. I think chief among these is telehealth. Both Republicans and Democrats recognize we need to modernize the policy infrastructure that supports telehealth. And I really expect this to be something to tackle early. Um, there is also a lot of attention for things like position payment. I think this gets a little trickier, as um, David can tell you. Um, because it does start getting into a lot of the entitlement spending and um, the Medicare balance sheet, which I think there tends to be some more partisan opinions on that. But there is bipartisan momentum to address this. And then I also think kidney's in a really great spot. So, for example, Kidney X um, has um, been around since 2018 um, when we, we formally launched the program, um, and it was launched with bipartisan support. Um, it, of course, has legacy both in the Trump White House, but also the Obama White House, and now the Biden White House. Um, so I, I think that there is um, uh, a strong possibility of these programs like that that show that bipartisan support um, will continue to um, receive that and, and maybe be the only things that Congress can act on over the next two years. So, David, given what Zach just laid out in terms of what's likely to happen in the House and Senate over the next year, what do you think this means for the White House, the Department of Health and Human Services, and the different agencies within HHS, uh, and sort of where what you think their priorities will be in 2023? I think there's going to be a continued, something that we've been seeing for a while, there's going to be a continued uh, introspection, particularly at Medicare and HHS, um, into what exact authority they have and what they don't have. And this has been an ongoing dispute, I think, between many of us in the kidney community and those groups about some of the areas where we believe they probably do have a little bit more authority than they have exercised 
and and but and one of the examples that uh, comes to mind is whether or not uh, that we talked about with Sadapa, which is the path through innovation payment for for drugs uh, in the bundle, and whether or not they have the ability to actually establish new payment after the Sadapa period for uh, drugs that don't have an equivalent already in the bundle or uh, or else have something in a functional category. I, I think that's going to make them even more uh, hesitant to kind of exercise their regulatory authority. There'll be more instances that we're going to need to go back to Congress to ask them to clarify something, and that just makes, that can make the, the whole slog a lot more cumbersome. David, could I um, add in a thought here too? Um, I I think the other the piece of this, which you you really touched on um, indirectly, is the um, Supreme Court. And and one question, uh, one case that came on the docket last year was, of course, the EPA um, case around uh, big Biden or uh, Obama energy rule. Um, and, and with this, in my understanding, what the case was doing there was um, um, assessing the, what they call the major questions doctrine, and really saying that unless Congress had explicitly given executive agencies like exact precise authority. The agencies did not have any ability to kind of go out on their own and act on it. And I, I think that's probably something we're going to continue to see from the Supreme Court. Do you, do you think, um, well, I guess do you agree and do you think that's going to play into this conversation of how the agencies position themselves? Well, I, I, I think, I mean, that decision and also the Marietta decision, uh, but with the Secondary Payer Act. But the, the truth of the matter is, is that I I feel like within HHS and within CMS, that has already been something that they probably have have worked on and been struggled with uh, probably uh, much more to the letter of the law than maybe EPA. I don't want to go into EPA policies or whatever, but I, I, it's, so I agree with you, but I, it's, it's also something that has been building for quite some time with or without the Supreme Court's decision. And certainly Secretary Becerra um, has extensive experience, both from his time on Ways and Means and also as uh, um, uh, Attorney General of California and probably precisely these questions. Yeah, which is one of the reasons I think he was picked. Well, David and Zach, I, I appreciate your um, joining us today near the end of the year to sort of walk through both, you know, what's in this huge omnibus spending package as well as give us some insights until next year. You know, it sounds like, you know, next year is going to be different, obviously, than this year, but but there is some momentum and, and it, it seems like um, there is opportunity. And so, you know, not only ASN and, and working through ASN's legislative and regulatory priorities, um, but also, you know, how we work with the rest of the community, both the kidney community directly, but then the sort of broader community, if it's the um, the physician community or the health professionals or others in, in sort of, you know, similar disease states. So just to thank you both for, for everything you've done this year in, in your work with um, Zach, your work with the Policy and Advocacy Committee and, and David, your work with the, the Quality Committee. You know, I just can't thank you and the volunteers enough for, for all of your efforts. Um, I also wanted to thank Travis Pryor. Uh, he's the ASN marketing manager, but he also is the producer of this podcast. So Travis, thank you for everything you did for us this year and um, making David and me most of the time. And this time, David, Zach and me sound uh, better. If you heard how these uh, podcasts come out when they're recorded, you'll realize uh, the heroic work that Travis does. So thank you for that very much. And to everyone, happy new year. And we look forward to reconnecting again in 2023. 
This podcast is copyrighted by the American Society of Nephrology. All rights reserved. All content in this podcast is for informational purposes only and is not intended to be medical advice. This podcast should not be used in a medical emergency or for the diagnosis or treatment of any medical condition. Please consult your doctor or other qualified healthcare professional if you have any questions about any medical condition or before taking any drug, changing your diet, or commencing or discontinuing any course of treatment. Thank you for listening to this podcast from the American Society of Nephrology.